I've heard it said you steer where you stare. We are bombarded daily with voices vying for our attention. And if we fill our days and minds with Netflix and social media feeds, we can get off track pretty quick. That's why I developed a 30-day music challenge. Listen to Christian music exclusively for 30 days. The challenge is free, and I'll be right there with you every step of the way. Head over to michellenizette.com forward slash 30-day challenge to sign up. Change your music, change your life. You're listening to More Than a Song, episode 229. Hello, and welcome to this episode of More Than a Song. My name is Michelle Nizat, and this is the podcast dedicated to helping you discover the truth of Scripture, hidden in today's popular Christian music. My goal is to teach you to connect portions of God's Word with the songs you're singing along with on the radio to help you meditate on truths that will transform your way of thinking and ultimately your life. I love it when my listeners are on the lookout for songs that inspire them to read God's Word on their own. And my longtime listener, Emily, reached out to me a few weeks ago and suggested this week's song by Hillsong Worship. And when I listened to the song and discovered the lyrics were word for word from Scripture, I quickly added it to my playlist and dove into God's Word. And so before we journey to the book of John together, let's listen. For God so loved the world Come on. That He gave His only Son And whosoever believes will not perish They shall have We are going to be spending some time around one of the most well-known verses in the Bible. Did you catch it? John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And I say it's the most well-known verse, and yet there are still some who have not heard this good news. You know, I think back to the article I read once that said when Tim Tebow would put the reference in his eye black, that it was the top Googled item during the game. I also think it may be one of the most uh, taken out of context verses in the Bible. So I'd like to put it back in context, shall we? (laughs) In fact, reading in context is one of my favorite Bible interaction tool exercises. And I call these exercises bites b-i-t-e bible interactive uh, bible interaction tool exercise you know and i hope uh, you'll try new ones each week to keep your time in god's word varied in fact if you subscribe at my website i will send you a one-page resource of my top five bites however there are some practices that should be the foundation of any and every time you're in god's word and reading in context is one of those So what is reading in context? Well, in my simple definition, it can be as simple as reading the entire chapter of a verse you are studying, or I like to even pop back to the chapter before or the chapter after. In smaller books of the Bible, like the epistles, since they're letters, I suggest you read them in their entirety. In a gospel account, like the book of John, most of the time you can get the context of what's happening by reading the chapter before and after where you're studying, like I mentioned before. Now, another type of context that I use uh, as a bite is to consider the historical context. And one of the best tools to help you with this is to read the introduction to the book you're studying in your study Bible, for example. And one of my favorite online tools for this is blueletterbible.com. 
And I have a link to a very thorough introduction for the book of John that will assist you in gaining historical and overall context of the book. And since we're starting in chapter 3 of John, another bite I use to place myself in the context of the scripture is to review the section headings in my Bible. Now this only works if you have read the scripture before. A section title will not remind you of something you've never read or studied. So don't skip the step of reading in context. But once you do that, reading the the headings will help bring you back into kind of the order of of what you're trying to study. So here are this the scripture headings leading up to John chapter 3. John chapter 1, the word became flesh. The testimony of John the Baptist, behold the lamb of God. Jesus calls the first disciples. Jesus calls Philip and Nathanael. The wedding at Cana. Jesus cleanses the temple. Jesus knows what is in man. You must be born again. For God so loved the world, and John the Baptist exalts Christ. So those are all of the section headings for the first three chapters of John. And once again, if you've never read the book of John, or you're not familiar with it, don't fret. This bite is a tool that is effective once you are familiar with the content. But trust me, everybody had to start somewhere. And if you read, uh, or if you read all of the other Gospels, You may feel like John has skipped over something. You know, as you read the introduction to the book that I mentioned earlier, it mentions that John's account differs from other Gospels in several ways, not to mention one is the chronology and the structure of Jesus' ministry. So John doesn't start at the beginning of Jesus' human life, but rather the beginning, uh, like the same words as the first ones in Genesis, in the beginning. That's what starts with John. John starts with in the beginning. In fact, John jumps straight to the time of John the Baptist and Jesus' earth, earthly ministry. And we see Jesus calling his first disciples and then performing his first miracle when he turned the water to wine at the wedding. And then something jumped out at me that I honestly didn't remember. Uh, I've read, I, I told my husband over dinner, I said, how many times I read the Bible through every year? I've read in the book of John, the New Testament, I've read many more times on my own. I just never, I guess either I was reading out of order or I just didn't put two and two together that he cleansed the temple here in John chapter two. And I guess in my mind, I always put that, you know, I, I know that Jesus cleansed the temple, but I always only remembered the time that he did it during Passion Week. You know, my kids participate in Easter Walk each year at their school. And I remember their skits of flipping tables and all that when Jesus cleanses the temple um, in the in the last week of his life. And so, but as many times as I've read John, this was the first time that it jumped out at me that this is a different time of cleansing the temple as the Passion Week time. So as I'm heading into chapter three, I can't ignore the context of Jesus cleansing the temple Um, And this cleansing of the temple really jumped out at me because of the passion of Jesus recorded here. I'm going to go ahead and read it for you, but I just want you to know, as every week, I take you kind of through my process. And so while I was inspired to read God's word because of our song, literally quotes something out of John chapter three, as you know, this podcast is not a commentary on the song, on the lyrics. It's just using um, music to inspire you to read God's word. And so I was inspired and I read it and I read it in context. And then this is what jumped out at me first. Trust me, we will get to John chapter three, 
but this jumped out at me first. So I'm in chapter two, verse 13. The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. So the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it's taken 46 years to build this temple and you will raise it up in three days. But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. So let's break this down slowly. That's another bite, by the way. (laughs) Slow down. Sometimes I think we're in such a rush to move to the next thing that we don't slow down to read the words that are actually recorded. Slowing down may just be one of the best Bible interaction tool exercises you can use. But first of all, it says Jesus made a whip of cords. Now, I'm not sure if this took a great deal of time, but it definitely took intention to make a whip of cords. I'm thinking if you have to at least braid them together. Was he praying the whole time? I'm assuming (laughs) it was he fuming the entire time, maybe because he was very, uh, very zealous for the house of the Lord. He was very angry, obviously. Um, Then he drove the people and the animals out of the temple with this whip. I want you to think about this. And when you've slowed down and you listen to the words and you picture the scene, this had to be absolute chaos. Have have you uh, ever driven animals? You know, they scatter. <laughs> when you take a, a, a whip and you start whipping it at animals, they scatter and they make a lot of noise. And what about people? Well, they aren't going to be driven out of the temple with a polite, excuse me, uh, could you please exit the building over here, please? And that's not what Jesus did anyway. He drove them out with the whips he had made. And then he went up to the money changers. According to gotquestions.org, one of my favorite outside resources for research and things like that, Judea was under the rule of the Romans, and the money in current use was Roman coin. But the Jewish law required that every man should pay a tribute to the service of the sanctuary of a half a shekel. You find that in in Exodus 30, and that's a Jewish coin. So it became a matter of convenience to have a place where a Roman coin could be exchanged for this Jewish half shekel. And the money changers provided this convenience, but would demand a small sum for the exchange. And because so many thousands of people came up to the great feasts, changing money was a very profitable business and one that resulted in fraud and oppression of the poor. So picture this, Jesus walks up to these very money changers and pours out their coins. So listen, listen to what's happening. Not listen to the words, listen to the scene. Picture yourself, close your eyes. Referential representation, my daughter used to to tell me when she was in first grade, they learned this concept. You can picture in your mind what you are reading on the page. Animals are scattering. 
hooves and the cacophony of cries from people and animals alike are joined with the clattering, shattering sounds of coins being poured out like water and and just uh, exploding all over the ground and tables being tossed. Verse 16, and he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. So the temple is where the very presence of God dwelled among his people. And the zeal on, on uh, the zeal of God consumed Jesus. And why do I spend so much time on this part? Because this same Jesus that is consumed with zeal entered into a discussion in chapter three. And I think sometimes that we see him as quiet and calm and meek and not passionate like we see here. I think we think he uses some sort of library voice or something all the time. But if I want to be like my savior, I need to be zealous and to allow passion to consume me. Passion for the right things, but passion. He was passionate. So the entire context of John three sixteen is in one conversation that Jesus has with Nicodemus, a Pharisee who came to him in the cover of night to seek out the truth that the other Pharisees were trying to snuff out. And the first part of the conversation is how to be born again and is a really good one. So I've spent so much time on this zealous thing. I don't have time to go through the first part of John chapter three, but you could do the same thing that we just did in John chapter two, go slow and consider the words. Uh, The first part of the conversation is how to be born again. It ultimately leads to the text that our song references. So let's jump in at John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Word for word in our song. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So let's break this down a bit in light of the whole of scripture. First of all, it's interesting (laughs) that Jesus is talking about coming in the light because Nicodemus came to him in the night, in the dark. And uh, so it's very I think very specific and very personal to him. But first of all, let's start at the beginning. For God so loved the world. Who loved the world? God loved the world. I don't want to be too elementary, but did the world love God? Does it say the world loved God? No, God loved the world. And eternal life is initiated by God and founded in his love. Did God love just the Israelites? No, God loved the world. And when you consider the context of this conversation, Jesus was talking to a Pharisee who understood that Israel was God's chosen people. But Jesus tends to turn understanding that we think, understanding, I put it in quotation marks in my mind. Uh, Jesus tends to turn our great understanding, quote unquote, upside down through his ministry. And this is one of those times. So when you consider this statement in view of the historical context, this is a profound statement didn't say God so loved Israel that he sent his son, the Messiah, 
Jesus Christ. He said, God so loved the world. And how did God offer eternal life? Through his only son. And when you read the verses just before that, Jesus once again is pointing to the cross when he says just two verses before this, he said, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Now I go into detail and I follow the cross references to this reference, this reference of Moses and the serpent, that story. I talk about that in episode 103, if you want to check that out. But Jesus is clearly pointing to the cross here. And God not only gave his son to come to earth, but to give his life, that through Christ we can have eternal eternal life, okay? And it says that whoever believes in him, and I want to really focus on the believes in part, um, biblical faith is not merely intellectual assent. It is not believing Jesus or even to believe that he existed. There are actual verses that say the demons believe and tremble. And obviously demons don't have eternal life with God in heaven. So um, Jesus, uh, it just to believe him or to believe his words or to believe that he existed, that's, that's not enough. That's just intellectual assent. Biblical faith is believing in Jesus. It says whoever believes in him. And the New Testament, of course, was originally written in Greek. And Jesus actually, if you go to the Greek, uses poor grammar here. If you translate it exactly, it would actually read whoever believes into him, making it horrible grammar, but great theology, right? So biblical belief means that you no longer believe in yourself. Biblical belief means you no longer trust in in yourself, but you have transferred your trust out of yourself into Jesus. And the original sin in the garden was one that transferred trust from God to self, right? Our desire for autonomy is at the root of it all. And biblical belief is fully trusting God for everything, including our salvation. So we've thrown ourselves into the merciful arms of God and trust him for everything, And that is a far cry from merely believing Jesus. Now, remember who Jesus is talking to. He's talking to Nicodemus. Verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Now, the Pharisees were master condemners. (laughs) And once again, this would have been a hard statement for Nicodemus. I can hear him say, but, 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 but what about those who disobey your law? Well, Jesus has an answer to that too. Verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. It's almost like Jesus is saying, you're right. They are condemned. You are condemned. The way out is Jesus. The way out is is me believing into Jesus. Verse 19, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil for everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed but whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God so now in previous episodes we talked about Jesus's I am statements this whole light versus darkness is a theme that runs throughout the book of John Jesus goes so far as to clearly state it in an I am statement in John chapter 8. He says, I am the light of the world. And this is the crux of the issue, isn't it? We love our autonomy and we don't want our sin to be exposed. So we hate the light. But whoever believes into Jesus steps out of the darkness and into the light and into eternal life. 
I love how our lyrics say, By his precious blood I have been set free. For the glory of Jesus' name, I surrender all now to Christ the Lord. In Jesus I am saved. Yes, yes, yes. By Christ's blood we are set free from the power of sin. Not for our glory, but his glory alone. But we must surrender. We surrender our desire for autonomy and take our belief in ourselves and place it into Christ. And if you've never done that, you can do that today. Repent of your sin, turn to God, and place your trust into Christ. Now, you may wonder why I spent so much time on the passionate response of Jesus in the temple when our song clearly spends time in John chapter 3. Well, I was just struck by Christ's passion. He loves what his Father loves. It's not a to-do list for him. It's zeal. Are we zealous about our relationship with Christ? Are we passionate about this eternal life that God has offered through his only son, Jesus Christ? Does it move us? Does it move you? I know we spend a lot of time on this podcast inspiring you to read your Bible and giving you simple tools to help you in that endeavor. And I am confident that I I just need to stay in this lane because I know that God's word is powerful and his spirit is perfectly capable of touching your heart with the truth that you're interacting with. I love a statement I just recently read by A.W. Tozer. It says, For it is not mere words that nourish the soul, but God himself. And unless and until the hearers find God in personal experience, they are not the better for having heard the truth. So while you study and ponder these truths in the book of John, don't miss the Savior that it speaks of. My prayer is that you will have an unreasonable desire for God's word, but more than that, that you will have an unreasonable desire for God himself. So what's next? We'll read John chapters one through three, at least. Uh, Our song leads us straight to John three, but the context of everything that leads up to this profound conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus should shed light on that very conversation. Use an introduction in your study Bible or an online source to help ground you and give you that historical context as you engage in the words of the gospel of John. And if you've never done it, step into the light and believe into the light of the world. And while you're in God's word this week, let me know how you're doing. Email me, michelle at michellekneezat.com. Hop on Twitter at michellekneezat or Facebook, Michelle L. Nizat, and let's talk about what you're learning. Now, before I tell you what song will be featured next week, I want to thank the premier Christian music streaming service, theoverflow.com, for pointing their subscribers to this podcast. But more importantly, pointing them to God's word through music. When you subscribe to their trial, you will receive a 10-day series of devotions I wrote based on some of my most popular podcast episodes. So I encourage you to check them out at theoverflow.com. I want to thank my newest subscribers to my website, like Lizelle from Australia and Renee from Chicago. Welcome. Now, new subscribers to my website will benefit from a one-page resource of my top five bites I mentioned earlier. It's a great place to start. And subscribers will also benefit from an email I send once a week. And in that email, you will get a memory verse resource to display on your smartphone, tablet, desktop, or you can print it out. You'll get an email recap of the week's episode, and you get instant access to any of the resources I create for my episodes. And all of that is just my way of saying thank you for listening. So head over to michellekneezat.com to subscribe today. 
Now, there are so many ways to listen to the podcast. We are now featured on Joy 103.1 every Saturday at 10 a.m. Eastern and always on Spotify or through Stitcher Radio. You can also subscribe in iTunes, and that's the place where you can leave a written review and a star rating, and I would really, really appreciate it if you would take the time to do that. And as always, if you do take the time to review my podcast, I will take the time to personally thank you right here on the podcast. Well, that's it for this episode of More Than a Song. Next week, I will be using Resurrection Power by Chris Tomlin to jump into scripture. If you liked this episode, would you mind sharing it with others? I've made it really easy. With just one click, you can share via Facebook, Twitter, or email. Just head over to michellenizette.com forward slash 229. While you're there, I'd love to hear from you. Click on comment to join the conversation. Until next time, take time to meditate on God's word and consider his ways.